Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's amazing to me how, you know, just when I start to think that my preoccupation with this concept of having some sort of standard that we're going to apply to the people that we elect might be, eh, I don't know, might be just my own personal obsession that's wholly unjustified. People go out there and provide fodder that indicates that I'm onto something that really ought to be explored, and we're going to do so here on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com, and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights and appreciate you joining us as always. I'll tell you what. So the past couple of days we've been talking about how Donald Trump has been uh, engaged. It's been revealed through various sources that uh, he he plays with the truth. He plays with the facts. Uh, he, he's enga- him and his surrogates have been engaged in behavior that would not be tolerated in any sphere of our lives, yours and mine, right? You know, our homes, our workplaces, our schools, our churches, we would discipline our children or our employees or leave workplaces if the people involved exhibited the same characteristics and behavioral patterns as Donald Trump and the people who he chooses to surround himself with. So why this double standard? Why this double standard between what we would be willing to accept in our own personal lives from the people we know and who we hold responsible uh, and who we have responsibility to? Why a totally different standard for for the rest of our life and then a completely separate one insulated just for Donald Trump? This is what I'm trying to understand. And uh, another another example of it came from The Five yesterday. I catch up, I listen to the podcast of The Five uh, as I'm going about my my uh, work throughout the day. And Greg Gutfeld, who, you know, of course, is a very talented guy. I heard him speak at a conference um, in Florida a couple of years back. Very engaging speaker. He's as great in person as he is on television. I like Greg Gutfeld. I, I even go so far as to consider myself a fan. But, wow, the, the thing he said on The Five yesterday he said in, re- in relation to talking about Donald Trump and talking about the revelation, you know, we had a, a leak. We talked about it here on the program last night, the leak of a transcript of a conversation between Trump and foreign officials uh, and, and also the revelation, that the, the admission from the White House that he lied about his claim that he had got a phone call from the leader of the Boy Scouts saying that the speech he gave to the Jamboree uh, earlier or late last month was the best speech that anyone has ever given to the Boy Scouts ever, which, you know, just kind of on its face, the idea that that's the phone call that you get from (laughs) 
as a result of anything. I mean, the reason why it's it it doesn't come off as sincere is because it fits into a pattern where everything his self-assessment of everything he's ever done is the best thing ever so the the notion that somebody else called him up just be like hey dude in case you were feeling low in case uh you you weren't you were uncertain as to the quality of the speech that you gave at the jamboree i just wanted to let you know i just wanted to pick up the phone and take a moment to tell you it was the best speech ever well there's probably very few people who he was saying the best speech ever or the best speech at the jamboree Right. Well, because there's even among the top scouting brass, there's very few who have seen probably more than one, two or three presidents speak at the most. Sure, sure. Yeah, a a fair point, but also wholly irrelevant because, you know, we just know we just know for a fact because we, we innately feel it that this is the best thing that has ever happened in the history of scouting. Uh, Donald Trump giving a speech about his own political situation and how horrible his opponents are. Uh, in front of Boy Scouts. That's the best thing that's ever happened. Anyway, so it came to light that this was, of course, a lie, that he didn't get that phone call. And so they're talking about this on The Five, and Greg Gutfeld says, and I quote verbatim, if I have to have a president who lies about the Boy Scouts to destroy ISIS, I'll take the liar. What? I don't think that was a serious comment. I, I think it was. I think it genuinely was. Like, I, I get where you're coming from on the whole he's, he does satire and whatnot, but usually his satire is done in at the expense of the left. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't usually say things that make his own side look silly, at least in my experience. He, I, like, I've seen this on Reddit all the time. People, Democrats will get what he, they don't know who he is, but they just see that he's on Fox News. Right, and right, so right. they assume he's just some right-wing loony. And he says something dumb, right? And right. then it's like, no, he is just—he—he's. I mean, he has an esoteric approach. I would say, like, you have to know who he is to get it, right? But I don't—I don't think it was made seriously. I think it was just made to be a ridiculous comment, just to stir people up. Well, hopefully that's the case, and hope—and hopefully I just fell for it. Uh, there was, however, some discussion on my social media because I, of course, posted this uh, today. Just because I was listening to it, it just struck me as, wow, this is. This is something that uh, should be amusing and perhaps stir some conversation. And sure enough, uh, we had a, a Zachary on my page uh, come onto the thread and accuse. Well, he didn't accuse me of of being disingenuous, but he did. He did take up the cause that Greg Gutfeld's statement at face value seems to imply. He wrote, "The way that quote is written is deceiving." I'm not saying. Uh, you are being deceitful on purpose, just pointing out that the, this quote can be read two different ways and mean two completely different things. And I think all of you are interpreting it the worst way possible. I agree with Gutfeld. I'll accept a president that lies about something meaningless related to the Boy Scouts if that president is going to destroy ISIS. You could argue if this president will lead to the destruction of ISIS or not, but your bias is causing you to misinterpret this statement that is actually pretty damn reasonable. It's simple. You would choose to accept ISIS that murders people over a politician that lies about meaningless things that don't harm anyone. Which <laughs> I struggled. I struggled to take this seriously. I struggled to take it seriously. That's the whole point. That's the reason why I posted it is because the premise and and look, I hope Greg Gutfeld was being satirical because he realizes that this premise is absurd. 
the idea that there's some sort of choice, there's some sort of dichotomy between, like there's a red button and a blue button. And if we press the red button, the president lies about the Boy Scouts. If we press the blue button, and, and, and ISIS is destroyed. And if we press the blue button, then we have a, a president that tells the truth, but ISIS runs rampant across the globe and slits everyone's throats. Like those are the choices. It's utterly absurd. These things are completely disconnected, and you don't have to choose between the two of them. We can have both a president that is serious about addressing threats to the country and has some sort of personal standard in terms of his conduct and does the right thing in all circumstances. And I'm not saying, you know, the, the guy needs to be flawless. The guy need not sin. The problem is, is that it's pathological. It's, it's continuous and more so than him doing it, him doing it doesn't bother me half as much as people excusing it. That's what really bothers me. Him doing it is, you almost can't even blame him because it's just his nature. It's who he is. It's how he acts. So, you know, it is what it is. What do you expect? What bothers me more than him doing it is people justifying it the way that Zachary does of saying, well, you know, th this is, th you got to just take it because this is how we're going to defeat ISIS. This is how we're going to win. No, the, you don't have to. And then, you know, another guy comes in and, and makes the point that I just made, that the, these two things are not related. And Zachary comes back and he says, the common relation uh, of the two topics is Donald Trump. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and just assume that you did not realize how these things were related because you are reading the quote out of context of the conversation. They were having a conversation about Donald Trump. And the point that Gutfeld was making is that while some losers complain about meaningless BS, like alleged lies related to the Boy Scouts, he prefers to worry about things that actually do matter, like defeating ISIS. And again, it's the idea that I I have to choose between taking ISIS seriously and having a president that doesn't lie is utterly and completely absurd. This is the kind of dichot look, and I, I get it. I understand that we have a two-party system, right? And what this is what this is really coming down to, what this is really calling back to is the dichotomic uh, partisan team red, team blue thinking of, well, what did you want, Hillary, right? And it's like, look, maybe maybe the reason why we ended up with a crap show choice in 2016 is because we're willing to engage in these compromises of principle. We had, what was it, 16 other choices in the primary? 16 other choices where we wouldn't, that we wouldn't have had to have this premise of whether or not they were going to lie about something as innocuous as getting a phone call from the head of the Boy Scouts telling them they gave the best speech ever, right, and, and, and tying it into We wouldn't have had to have this conversation if we'd have made a better choice. And one of the, the mechanisms or the platforms upon which we would have been able to make that better choice is if we as individuals had higher standards for the people that represent us in public office. And that's what I'm trying to encourage. That's what I'm driving us towards is – let's not get ourselves into the position where we have to choose between a Donald Trump and a Hillary Clinton. Why are our standards so ridiculously absurd and inadequate that that's the choice that we have to make? Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I know it's hard to believe based upon the content of the show night after night, but I genuinely want to be able to put on the hat. I want to be able to put on the hat and talk about making America great again. I want to become a fan. I want to become a supporter of the president in in a consistent and enthusiastic way, but it's not automatic. It doesn't happen automatically and it shouldn't happen automatically. It must be earned. He must achieve certain bottom line standards, minimal standards in order to earn that support. And, you know, it, unfortunately it seems like every time there's a little glimmer of hope, like when he gave that fresh into his presidency, he gave that fantastic speech to a joint session of Congress where he, you know, with a, with a couple nitpicks splitting of hairs here and there gave a, a, a rousing vision of how government is supposed to work, what it's supposed to achieve, the effect that it's supposed to have on our lives. And it was inspiring. It was a call back to the the principles and values upon which our republic were built. And you hear something like that and you think to yourself, I thought to myself, wow, okay, this is great. Maybe we're gonna maybe we're gonna see something different here. Maybe we're gonna be unexpected or see something unexpected. Maybe I'm going to be made to look like even more of an idiot than I was in November, you know, when I predicted that this guy was going to lose, maybe he's going to continue to prove me wrong by actually governing as a conservative and actually doing the right thing and making America great again by being a great president. But then he turns around and he does things that take us back to square one. And it's not just him. It's not just him. It's the people around him as well. And we're going to talk here a bit about Jeff Sessions. And Jeff Sessions is a guy who... You know, they, I, I probably agree with him about 80% of the time. I strongly agree with him. Strong conservative. You know, ha, his his bona fides in the conservative movement and as a Republican uh, are are really beyond question uh, when it comes to, to, to being a, a solid uh, advocate for th- these ideas and values that define the conservative movement. That said, he's not perfect, not a perfect guy. There are opportunities like this situation where we saw we've seen leaks coming out of the administration left and right and you know let's qualify it there are different t- types of leaks there's the innocuous leaks of you know who Donald Trump was having dinner with last night right or what was said in the hallway at the white house that had nothing really to do with policy or any sort of national security information there's those types of trivial leaks which i think ought to be handled one way and then there's the, the serious leaks, right? The leaks of information that really ought to be privileged, really ought to be or is classified in one way or another. And those leaks should be investigated criminally, and those responsible for them should be prosecuted, right? So let's acknowledge that out of the gate. So there's a legitimate justification and impetus with this latest leak of a transcript of a phone call between the president and foreign leaders that is legitimate cause for alarm. That's not something that should be happening, and it should be investigated. And if they can identify who's responsible, that person should be prosecuted. They should certainly be looked at, and they certainly shouldn't be working in the White House. 
All of that is legitimate. Unfortunately, unfortunately, this administration can't stop at making the legitimate play. They can't stop at doing what they ought to do. They have to take it a level further into a zone that is highly questionable and is not going to earn them long-term support uh, or, or result in a winning political battle going forward. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. From the Star Tribune, Attorney General Jeff Sessions pledged on Friday to rein in government leaks that he said undermine American security, taking an aggressive public stand after being called weak on the matter by President Donald Trump. The nation's top law enforcement official cited no current investigations in which disclosures of information had jeopardized the country, but said the number of criminal leak probes had more than tripled in the early months of the Trump administration. Justice Department officials also said they were reviewing guidelines put in place to make it difficult for the government to subpoena journalists about their sources and would not rule out the possibility that a reporter could be prosecuted. No one is entitled to surreptitiously, I can't talk tonight, fight to advance their battles in the media by revealing sensitive government information, Sessions said in an announcement that followed a series of uh, news reports this year on the Trump campaign and the White House that have relied on classified information. No government can be effective when its leaders cannot discuss sensitive matters in confidence or talk freely in confidence with foreign leaders. Now, that is correct, right? Like what Sessions says there, the premise of this action is entirely legitimate. Indeed, it, leaders should be able to discuss matters in confidence with each other, with foreign leaders, and also with their staff and within the walls of the White House. Those conversations properly ought to be privileged, and they should not be leaked at the first opportunity or ever at all. That is an entirely legitimate premise. But to jump from that to we're going after the reporters— we're going after the reporters. We're going to make it easier to subpoena reporters and drag them in to co presumably Congress or maybe even court and demand under penalty of law that they reveal their sources. Are you kidding me? This, this is a conservative answer to the problem. And, you know, it would be one thing. I could give them the benefit of the doubt if they had already tried an exhaustive plan, gone through an exhaustive operation of trying to get to the roots of the leaks themselves. In other words, they had actually investigated the sources of the leaks. They had found some of the people responsible. They had ousted them. They were putting out or plugging up leaks left and right, and, and stuff was still happening. Stuff was still somehow getting out. Apparently, as far as we can tell, given what's been revealed, they haven't really done anything at all. Like, this is the first thing they're actually doing. It's almost as if, let me put on my highly cynical hat for a moment. It's almost as if they have allowed the leaks to go unaddressed in order to maintain the boogeyman of the deep state and the leakers so that they have something to blame for all of the errors, the unforced errors that they keep making as an administration. Because it's not, you're the, when you're the president of the United States, when you're the sitting attorney general, the, who are you complaining about when you say this, is, this should be investigated and that should be investigated and why aren't things being investigated? You're the people who investigate things. So do it, right? 
You know, you got you got Donald Trump out there tweeting on a daily basis. Well, we should be looking into Hillary Clinton. He just said this at the West, uh, West Virginia rally the other day. We need to be investigating or somebody, they, quote unquote, an unspecified other needs to be investigating the missing emails from Hillary Clinton. Dude, you're the president of the United States. Towards the end of your campaign, you campaigned on prosecuting her. You campaigned on putting her in jail, right? So do it, right? What's stopping you? It's almost as if he, he's trying to dangle that carrot as, as like a marketing gimmick to, to keep people riled up because you saw the reaction in West Virginia, right? He can pull out these lines at any moment and get raucous applause. He can pull out these lines at any moment and distract from whatever foible he just engaged in on a day-to-day basis. You know, and look, I, I may be attributing way too much strategic thinking to, <laughs> to the process here. I probably am. I, he's probably not. The, if he was capable of thinking that far ahead, then we probably wouldn't have as many foibles as we do. But the fact remains that it's utterly absurd to jump from we need to do something about the leaks to we're going to shut down the press. Because that's what we're talking about doing. We're talking about shutting down the press. What do you think the effect is going to be when reporters know that if they report, when somebody comes to them with with explosive information, you know, a, a leaker, a whistleblower, however you want to characteristic, comes to them with explosive information that that the public ought to know, right? Let's Let's think of somebody like Edward Snowden. And the, it, it, instead of considering whether or not this is in the public good for the public to know, they're thinking about, am I going to go to jail for this? Am I going to be subpoenaed for this? And on the other side of it, the person who comes to them as a source, am I going to be revealed? Am, is, is the person who I'm entrusting with this information going to be pulled into court and forced under uh, a court subpoena to give up my name? The... One of the professional credentials upon which journalistic integrity is based is the maintenance of the anonymity of your sources. Like, that's that's your currency. If your sources can't trust that they're, you're going to keep their identity uh, secret when requested, then they're not going to come to you. So what this does is this shuts down the press. And I know, I know, the press is horrible. And I agree, the press is horrible, but this is not how you deal with it. You don't deal with it by initiating force, institutionalized or otherwise, against people who say things that you don't like. You want to prosecute somebody, prosecute the leakers for leaking. You don't prosecute the reporters for reporting. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. All right, if you want to compare the importance of issues, you know, earlier we were talking about, you know, lying about getting a phone call from the Boy Scout leader saying how great your speech was, how important that is compared to something like defeating ISIS, right? You know, there's there's always, and the, the problem with that type of reasoning is that there's always something that's more important. That's kind of a pet peeve of mine. You always, and I've been guilty of it as well, but you always get, you know, if there's something big in the news that, that's got everybody's attention on social media, Somebody will come along inevitably and be like, well, meanwhile, this isn't being paid attention to that's really important. Children are dying in Africa or, you know, the Federal Reserve or blah, blah. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? 
they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we don't have to choose between the two. We, we, can, we can have our feelings. We can have our moment with the issue at hand before us and still do something about that other thing later. But, you know, entertaining that type of... Uh, dichotomistic thinking if that's even a word let's uh let's talk about the economy and how uh it's all about to go to hell in a handbasket according to somebody who should know closing argument my name is walter hudson twin cities news talk am 1130 103.5 fm twin cities and your iHeartRadio app two ways to stream the program we're here nine to eleven weeknights appreciate you tuning in brad omlin producing the show from reuters Actually, this one comes to us from CNBC, the Reuters thing uh, we'll get to in a second. Former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan issued a bold warning Friday that the bond market is on the cusp of a collapse that also will threaten stock prices. In a CNBC interview, the longtime central bank chief said the prolonged period of low interest rates is about to end and with it a bull market in fixed income that has lasted more than three decades. The current level of interest rates is abnormally low, and there's only one direction in which they can go. And when they start, they will be rather rapid, Greenspan said on Squawk Box. That low interest rate environment has been the product of current monetary policy at the institution he helmed from 1987 to 2006. The Fed took its benchmark rate to near zero during the financial crisis and kept it there for seven years after. Since December 2015, the Fed has approved four rate hikes, but government bond yields remained mired near record lows. Greenspan did not criticize the policies of the current Fed, but he warned that the low rate environment can't last forever and will have secure conse- or severe consequences once it ends. I have no time frame on the forecast, he said. I have a chart which goes back to the 1800s, and I can tell you that this particular period sticks out, but you have no way of knowing in advance when it will actually trigger. One point he did make about timing is that it likely will be quick and take the market by surprise. It looks stronger just before it isn't stronger, he said. Anyone who thinks they can forecast when the bubble will break is in for a disastrous experience. So, yeah, we got that to look forward to. That'll reshape things real quick, real quick. We get ourselves a genuine economic crisis on our hands. And, you know, when that time comes, let's say it comes in the next three, four years, there's not going to be any BSing our way out of it, right? And this is the problem with with government interventions. We've talked many times on the program about what price is and how price works, how price is an objective measurement of the subjective value between buyer and seller. You know, the point at which the seller is willing to let go of their product or service 
and the point at which the buyer is willing to commit to purchasing. And, and that information, that number, whatever it happens to be, communicates a lot of hidden aspects that go into the, the production or the formation of whatever the thing is. Let's say we're talking about a banana, right? The, I don't know anything about how to grow bananas, how to get them from wherever they're grown to my hometown here in Minnesota, how, how that they're able to do so in the dead of winter. I don't know anything about that entire process. I don't need to know. All I need to know is that I can get a bunch for 88 cents a pound or whatever it is that you can buy bananas for, right? And that tells me all I need to know about whether or not I should purchase them if I so desire, right? You know, the, the rising of price as a result of supply and demand indicates how both producers and consumers should act. Should I conserve or should I buy more, right? Should, should, I, should I build up? Or should I draw down? And these are important things for producers and consumers to know so that we don't end up with situations like Venezuela where there's no bread on the shelves. Now, we we can understand, we might be capable of understanding that much, but then we get into the realm of finance. And for some reason, and I don't claim to be any sort of financial expert, I'm not, but I understand how price works. And that's really all you need to know, right? Price is a signal of economic reality. And if you mess with it, all you can you can't make it work better. You're not going to get better information by interfering by initiating force to interfere with price. You're not going to end up with a a uh, better market that reacts more appropriately. All you're going to do is distort the in, the communication which price uh, facilitates, and we do that through the Federal Reserve through monetary policy with the artificial manipulation of interest rates. Well, to Greenspan's point, I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later because as we're seeing with the student loan bubble, that's about to burst. Mm-hmm. And so how is that going to affect banks, interest rates? Um, and because the interest the interest rate that the Fed sets like determines the interest rates that banks, banks set, correct? Right. And so we're talking now like, Millennials don't have money to buy homes right. because we're paying off student loans. Right. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna continue to have money to buy homes if the interest rate goes up. Right. Yeah. That that uh, that loan balance that's been ballooning up as you've been deferring and forbearing on your loan payments because you can't afford to pay them now. You know, just just wait until the Fed raises rates. You know, then you're gonna find yourself sitting on you know six digit numbers of what you owe. You know, it's it's gonna there's gonna be a situation developing where people find themselves basically in a form of indentured servitude to the student loan servicers. And at that point, at that point in this political environment, which argument do you think is going to win out? The personal responsibility argument of you got yourself into this mess, and so we ought to adjust public policy to, to restore the free market, or the Bernie Sanders approach, or the Hugo Chavez approach of we need to burn this thing down and start over and redistribute to help the poor and help those in need and to punish those who got us into this situation. And look, I'm not saying there aren't people who who didn't get us into this situation. There most definitely are, but they're they're not going to be the ones who get blamed for it. The ones the ones who are going to get blamed for it are the bankers, right? The rich people. And look, one of the things we we found ourselves talking about, I'm trying to remember the context of exactly what it was. There, oh, it was um, – oh, man, it just slipped away from me. But there was a guy – no, it was Tommy Lahren. Tommy Lahren accepting uh, or being on her 
parents' insurance because she's 24 or however old she is. Um, I think she's even younger than that, to tell the truth. But at any rate, she's still on her parents' insurance, and she was having a debate uh, with a lefty about health care, and she disclosed that. And the left wrote articles about it and blog posts and tweeted about about how, oh, this is so hypocritical that she's on her parents' health insurance, yet she's against the very law, Obamacare, that made that possible. It's like, no, you, you can't blame the people who don't have control over public policy for the personal decisions they make in an environment that is shaped by that policy. In a similar sense, it's not the banker's fault that we all have a bunch of loans that we can't pay, right? They, they acted in their rational interest within the context of, a, of an environment that was crafted through public policy. It's the policymakers, it's the people we elect and the people that get appointed to places like the Federal Reserve uh, who are ultimately responsible for, for the situation that we find ourselves in. And when this bubble pops, and it will pop, we're not going to find ourselves in a very good situation. And I, I, I find it difficult to imagine that we're somehow going to get to the point because people, have, people lack such fundamental understanding of, of how the economy works, how price works. What money even is, <laughs> I was right? Just listening to a Freakonomics podcast yesterday, and uh, they were talking about personal finance and how maybe forty percent of Americans actually understand personal finance and like how com- something as simple as compounding interest works. Right. So you expect them to know something as complex as Fed interest rates, right? Economic bubbles, right? Nowhere near, right? Yeah, and it's and it's that that ignorance that is actually depended on, right? I and mean, quite frankly, it's that ignorance that props up the entire economy because the only reason that fiat currency works is because people believe it works it's like tinkerbell right you sit there and you clap and and you believe and that makes a dollar worth a dollar if if people woke up to the reality of what's actually happening you would have a crash you would have collapse but let me suggest that perhaps we need one perhaps we need one not because not of some sort of vindictive we deserve it sort of way but in order to get us back to a point where things actually are the the prices actually reflect the true economic value and then we can move forward from there dig ourselves out of the wreckage and and and, and hopefully potentially if we choose the free market route rather than the socialist bernie sanders hugo chavez route get to a point uh, where where we can pursue lasting and secure prosperity in a condition of liberty. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, twincitiesnewstalk.com. All right, we got some uh, a random smattering of unrelated stories here that are, are each interesting in their own right. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Let's start with the Star Tribune. The graveyard shift turned out to be a painful one Wednesday for one northwestern Minnesota police officer. It started when Brad Browning, an officer in the small town of Dilworth, Minnesota, spotted a car with one headlight out about 1.45 a.m. When he pulled the car over in the parking lot of a convenience store, he discovered that the driver, 27-year-old Stephen Heitler of Permham, uh, had a warrant out for his arrest. Soon, a Moorhead police officer arrived on the scene as backup, and the two officers attempted to arrest and handcuff uh, Haitala, who resisted. In the struggle, the Moorhead officer pulled his taser and fired. Trouble was, he missed Hatella, hitting Browning instead. 
It was ineffective because it hit Browning, <laughs> noted the police report. <laughs> that that is an accurate statement. That is an accurate statement. Good good report writing there, sir. Good report writing. Hatella immediately fled, running through the neighborhood with Browning in pursuit. By the time Hatella had uh, hid between two garages in an alley, a Clay County Sheriff's deputy had arrived with a police dog. The dog was cut loose, but instead of biting Hatella, it bit Browning. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, By the way, they did just start production on Super Troopers 2. <laughs> Completely unrelated. Actually, I think they finished. So, so yes. this. <laughs> wow. That is a bad day at the office. Yeah. That is a bad when it day rains, at the office. it pours. That's like a sitcom. That is just absolutely nuts. No, you know, it's I we we shouldn't laugh, but we totally are. We totally totally are. From the Wall Street Journal, several Democrats are considering a primary challenge to New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, who plans to run for a third term next year. Mr. Cuomo has a formidable campaign account of about $25 million and the advantages of incumbency, including alliances with labor unions and political committees. He has strained relations, however, with some liberal advocates who see an opening for an insurgent on the left. Uh, the Siena College poll in July showed a tie of 46% of voters who want him reelected and those who don't. Among Democrats, however, 61% favor his reelection. In the last few years, uh, there has been a earthquake in American politics, and Andrew Cuomo could well be surprised, said uh, Zephyr Teachout, the associate Fordham University law professor who lost a primary to Mr. Cuomo in 2014, but garnered a higher than expected 34% of the vote. Governor Cuomo has the strongest progressive record of any elected official in this country, period, and we look forward to building on that record in the third term, said Bill Mulrow, his uh, 2018 campaign chairman. This is indicative of a trend that we see playing out across the country. And it, it reminds me once again of the mirror image of what occurred during the Tea Party movement uh, during the first term of Barack Obama. You know, the, the, the dynamic was back then, 2009, 2010, really kind of peaked in 2010. The dynamic was people were upset both about the election of Barack Obama and the subsequent policies that he pursued, most of all Obamacare. And as a result, there was this kind of resurgence of conservative activism. And oddly enough, rather than being directed primarily at Democrats and Obama and the left, it was directed more it was more focused on Republicans, right? It was let's clean out our own party and make our own party better so that when they, it does regain power, we'll actually be able to push back on a lot of this stuff. And it seems like the inverse of that is happening now. Well, there I read an article, I think, in Politico the other day about how a bunch of young Democrats are getting together and figuring out how they can run for office, you know, political novices. And that was you know, starting with city council members, local offices, and that was the same thing that happened during the Tea Party movement. They were yep. looking for young people to run for office. Yep. So the Democrats are coming, and we're not going to be able to defeat them with people like Donald Trump. Yeah, I, I remember, in fact, my introduction to this station, to Twin Cities News Talk, uh, as actually being on the air, was via, well, first of all, Sue Jeffers uh, on her show, but she introduced me to Ron Rosenbaum, who had a show here back in the day. And... 
he brought me on his show because he was utterly fascinated at the idea of a black tea partier. He, he <laughs> wow. thought he thought there was the funniest thing, you know. That well, he didn't say it was funny, but he knew it. That's yeah. how he felt, right? And so he just wanted to he, he wanted to uh, to quiz me. And I remember one of the things we talked about when he brought me on his show was I can't remember the name of the gal. Neil Lynch referred to her the other night, the witch gal, gal whatever her name was. The one who was like, I'm not a witch. She had an actual campaign ad being like, I'm not a witch. Like, that's how it started. <laughs> ah. Oh, man. Oh, those were the days. Those were the days. At any rate, we, we talked about this gal. Christine O'Donnell. Christine O'Donnell. Yes, thank you. Um, as, as indicative of exactly what you're talking about, right? Like, R- Rosenbaum's position was what he didn't understand was why is it that you why would you want to elect somebody to a position of responsibility who doesn't have the requisite experience to actually perform the role right you know he's he's like for me experience is a positive it's a qualification this is Rosenbaum's position right for Rosenbaum th- having that experience is a qualification whereas it seemed for tea partiers having experience was a mark against you. We need to get rid of the people who have the experience to bring in somebody new just for the sake of having somebody new. And in a sense, that that has fully metastasized in the election of Donald Trump. Like Trump is the ultimate guy with no experience who now has the complete control of one third of the government. Did did they put experience over that though? Because I think that the way I view it, like the Tea Party movement was fueled by Ron Paul, who had a ton of political experience. So I think it was, sure, it was, we need new blood, but it was the sake of new blood because they're principled. Like, we can so it was new, sure, but then it was principle over necessarily just anybody. Yeah, and that's basically what my counter-argument to Rosenbaum was, is, you know, I, that it's not so much the issue of whether or not somebody has experience or doesn't have experience. It's the fact that for whatever reason, it, there's this correlation between the people who have experience, quote unquote, and a complete disconnect with the principles and values of the grassroots and, and of just normal human beings, normal people who have to go out and earn a living and you know take care of their families and whatnot. And so you, you end up turning to a Christine O'Donnell. You end up turning to you know, people who end up saying stupid things and acting in dumb ways once they get elected because they have no experience you turn to those people because you're willing to roll the dice and take the chance that at least they might under they might relate to you on some level as opposed to these quote-unquote elitists who don't get it at all and it seems like that a version of that is happening on the left now which is concerning it's concerning because it it means that the Democratic Party, if if things go the way things went with the Tea Party, the Democratic Party is going to lurch significantly to the left, significantly. And in an era where rhetorically, and I'm not saying their arguments have merit, they don't, but that's kind of beside the point when you're talking about political analysis, electoral analysis. They are, they are, they're going to come of age potentially in an era where the, the soil is fertile for the the notions and the ideas that they're trying to perpetuate. Well, if the Tea Party movement metastasized wrongly into Donald Trump, right? What does the Democratic Party that is based on Bernie Sanders and you know just they're planting the seeds now? What's what's that going to turn into? Right. Like 
that's it's not going to be Bernie Sanders because he's too old. Right. So what's next? Well, and we got a hint of it this week with Michael Moore talking about we need to find some beloved character, you know, a Tom Hanks, a and Dwayne the Rock Johnson or whoever, Oprah. We need to find somebody who has that celebrity in order to take on the mantle. Now, what if you would what if you fuse the two, which is basically what Donald Trump is, right? What if you fuse the celebrity with the hard left ideology and you end up with with this movement where it's the worst of both worlds, right? Well, and they will take him seriously because they he's not a politician. That it's going to be the same from the left as it right. was from Donald Trump. Like right. they can take him seriously but not figurative or yeah. but not literally. Yeah. And it'll be interesting because, you know, if we play this out, we play this kind of like mirror universe forecast out, what ends up happening to what is today considered the Democratic establishment? Like, do do people such as Nancy Pelosi is probably a stretch, but I'm, I'm trying to think of I'm struggling to think of like a moderate, quasi sensible Democrat. Uh, but, you know, let's pretend those people exist <laughs> for, for the sake of argument, for the sake of argument. Let's pretend those people exist. Um where do they go? What do they do? Like once they realize their party's out of control and it's it's it, they start facing the same problem that I'm complaining about on a night to night basis, which is your party's winning, but they're winning on the wrong stuff. Your party's winning, but but not towards an end that's actually going to achieve anything good in the long term. How how do you start to reform your thinking? You know, what do you turn to as a Democrat? I don't know. The reason why I don't know is because as a Republican, I don't know. Yeah. I'm living it right now. And as I, well, as I said the other night, like as a libertarian, like my views haven't changed. It's always what policy is going to advance personal liberty. But it seems like, and maybe this is just me wearing my own partisan blinders, but it seems like the rhetoric on both the left and the right has gotten more extreme since like 2008 when the liberty movement sprung. It like, our views haven't changed. It, they've been based on the same principles, but the rhetoric on both sides that aren't libertarian has gotten more extreme, and I think that's concerning. And they keep saying that we're wrong, but they're just getting worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it it is odd. It's it's like a weird kind of three way tug of war where the the traditional authoritarian conservatives and the authoritarian left are both dragging libertarianism right into the mud that's in the center. Yes. Not uh, to to end up uh, sinking beneath the murk, unfortunately. What a lovely sentiment on a Friday night. Closing argument, my name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Brad Omlin producing the program, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.